Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon. I am Andrea Owen, and I am Being Boss. Hey, bosses. Today, we're talking about intuition, the fear of success, and habits that are holding you back with author, mentor, and coach Andrea Owen. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at beingboss.club. As a creative entrepreneur running your own business or thinking about starting one, do me a quick favor. As I mentioned the words admin and paperwork, take note of all of those unsavory thoughts and feelings that bubble up to the surface. Because at worst, the prospect of dealing with endless paperwork can kill your motivation altogether. And at best, it's just a time-sucking pain in the butt. So our friends at FreshBooks know this, and they can help you in a big way. FreshBooks makes ridiculously easy cloud accounting software that's perfect for creatives who need to spend more time creating and less of their time buried in paperwork. You can create invoices in seconds. With two clicks, you can set yourself up to receive payments online. If your clients forget to pay you FreshBooks, well, they're going to handle the awkwardness with customizable late payment reminders. And FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've emailed. So truthfully, this is only a tiny fraction of what FreshBooks can do to really change how you feel about dealing with your paperwork. To claim your unrestricted 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. All right, we've got a great guest for you all today. Andrea Owen is an author, mentor, and certified life coach who helps high-achieving women let go of perfectionism, control, and isolation, and choosing courage and confidence instead. She has helped thousands of women manage their inner critic to create loving connections and live their most kick-ass life. She is the author of 52 Ways to Live a Kick-Ass Life, and her second book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness, is now out. All right, on to the interview. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us on Being Boss today. Thank you for having me. All right, before we really dig in, did you play roller derby? I did. I did too. And I'm thinking about going back. You did? Yeah. (laughs) I retired in 2013. Let me head an injury. I mean, who doesn't have an injury playing roller derby? And I, I wish that it was a roller derby injury, but I slipped on some ice walking out of the gym and totally tore my shoulder, my labrum completely off. <laughs> so I wish it was a really exciting derby story, but it's not. I think I played 10 years ago. I only played for two years, and it was just at the beginning of the flat track resurgence. Did you mm-hmm. play flat track? I played flat track. What was your derby name? Catatomic 3000. What was yours? <laughs> Veronica Vane. Nice. What position did you play? I was a blocker. I was way too slow to be a jammer and too scared. It is scary. It was enough to be a blocker. Mm -hmm. And I was never a pivot. I just, yeah. But my favorite, my favorite all-time derby name was not on my team. It was a Colorado team and her name was Mustache Rider. (laughs) So (laughs) Respect. (laughs) Okay, so... Dear listeners, we have a couple of derby girls here. Now you know. know. In fact, I was just telling someone the other day, Emily, you might not even know this. The first time I'd ever had a shot of alcohol was whenever I was in my derby days. We were having a pool party and 
I took a shot of tequila and then someone like pushed my head underwater and that's how I took my first shot. And it was like very like derby, I don't know, very derby time. Okay, Andrea, let's let's get on track here. <laughs> pun intended or unintended? <laughs> that was unintended. I'm not a very punny person. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself and and your history. I know that you have quite a story. I do. I do. I well, it's it's kind of a, a funny, not funny story because way back in in two thousand and three, I think it was, I heard about the career of life coaching. I saw it online, and um, I thought this is the coolest thing ever. You know, to be a life coach, like you get you get to help people live their their best life, and who doesn't want to do that? Because I thought about being a therapist, and it just didn't feel totally right. But this was so awesome. And I remember telling my husband at the time we had just gotten married. We'd been he and I had been together since we were teenagers. And I told him, I said, this seems really neat, but I don't think that I could, I would be very good at this because I think somebody who's a life coach would need to have a lot of interesting life experience. And I kind of didn't. And so fast forward a few years, he and I had been married for a couple of years at that point. We'd been, been together for about 13 years. We were talking about conceiving our first child, as many people do in that situation. And he had an affair with our neighbor and got her pregnant. And um, it was gnarly. Like, <laughs> we're, uh, we're just shaking was, our heads. Like it was, ugh. it was one of those. Um, I was very close to his family too. My parents had gotten divorced when, right around the time I had met him and his parents and his family just completely took me in. And um, he had a lot of siblings and their wives and everything. And it was rough. That whole breakup was really rough for everyone. And and it was – I mean, the whole story – I'm going to write a memoir because it the whole thing, it's like a lifetime movie. And anytime anybody hears the whole story, they're like, this is like a lifetime movie. And what ended up happening right after that was something I should not have done, and I started dating right away. It was like one of my girlfriend's ideas. She's like, let's get you a Match.com profile. <laughs> That'll make you feel better. <laughs> so I did, and I actually dated a handful of nice, normal guys and – of course, I didn't want anything to do with them. And I attracted this this guy whom I thought at the time was Mr. Wright. And he was tall and funny and he looked like David Duchovny. And I was with him for about 10 months. And it, it, it kind – there were some major red flags, but I ignored all of them. And long story short with that relationship is that he had lied the whole time about having cancer, about having non-Hodgkin lymphoma in order to cover up his opioid addiction. And he had conned me out of – $8,000, which was like all the money I had. <laughs> and he uh, talked to me into leaving my job and my apartment because we were going to move away and li live together. And um, it came all out. I confronted him about the drug addiction and he actually got clean for a few weeks. And then that's when I got pregnant. And then he started using again. He went away to rehab. And I thought that's – I was going to give him another chance because I was pregnant. And I didn't know anything really about addiction. I had never been with an addict. You know, anyone that's listening who's been in a relationship with an addict is probably like, yeah, it's it's not the easiest thing to do. But I really thought that we he could get clean and sober and we could move away to Northern California and, and live happily ever after. Um, he met someone else in rehab and broke up with me. And it turns out she had a trust fund and like had loaned to – it was it, – I got conned basically by this man. And I was pregnant and, you know, be careful what you wish for. Here's my life experience. I was on the ground. My divorce wasn't even final from my husband. <laughs> I was still dealing with that. 
having this breakup. I was pregnant. I had gotten out of the lease of my apartment. Um, my job that I had quit, they had already filled my position. So I was like, what the fuck do I do? And I was, it was one of those on the ground in the fetal position. I was crying on the phone with my sister and, um, I was like, how did I get here? Like, what happened? And I was 31 at the time. So it was like right when every, all my friends were like pregnant, like <laughs> married. And even they were like, we don't even know what to say to you. It's so bad. It's so bad. And it was just humiliating. And, and, um, I picked myself up off the ground, you know, a couple days later and really was just like, okay, the common denominator in all this shit is me. And not to say that those guys didn't do some really crappy things to me. They did. But I had tolerated all of that. I had never listened to my intuition. My intuition told me not to marry my first husband. And I did anyway. My intuition told me from the first date with David Duchovny, fake cancer, <laughs> to run. And I didn't. So it was all these things I was starting to realize that I needed to take responsibility for in my life. I slowly started to do. And I dove into self-help and personal development. And that was in 2007 when all of that fell apart in early 2007. So it's been quite a ride in just in my own work. I'm I'm a completely different person, but I'm so grateful for that time because I needed that like shake by the shoulders to wake up. It's funny because we hear a lot of life coaches say, I feel like I need to have my entire act together. Like my life needs to be perfect before I can coach anybody else. And here you are saying my life needs to be more interesting. So (laughs) (laughs) there you go. So then at what point did you, you know, get go into life coaching? Like how did your creative entrepreneur adventure kind of come out of all of this? You know, it's interesting. I was what I call like an accidental entrepreneur. I was not that kid that had a lemonade stand. I hated selling Girl Scout cookies. Uh, I just wasn't – I don't think I was ever really good at it. And my parents worked – you know, they had like union jobs. And so that's what I always thought I would do. And I was interested – I honest to goodness think I was interested in life coaching too is because I wanted to help other people, but I was too afraid to look at my own stuff. And when – if you've been in kind of an intense training like that, anyone listening knows that that's impossible. Like you can't go through a training like that without looking at your own stuff. And what they what they tell us, they, capital T, whoever they are, they tell us you can't ever take your clients farther than what – how – far you're willing to go in your own life. So I had kind of a rude awakening when I walked into training in 2007. I went that same year. And then after my first weekend, it was with the Coaches Training Institute, I took an entire year off because I was like, this is too intense. I need to work on my own stuff. I was also pregnant and used that as an excuse, but mostly I was I was doing my own work. And um, and and yeah, so it was it was I'm not gonna say like, oh yeah, I I was all great and dandy when I went into training. It was sort of a simultaneous training to work to work with other people and then myself. I think one thing that I'm admiring about you, even just at the beginning of this conversation, is this taking personal accountability and looking at the common denominator. And I try and do that for myself anytime I start to feel like I'm attracting the worst kind of luck or, you know, that things like, why isn't anything going right? And it's like, okay, well, what's the common denominator here? And I think that um, taking that personal accountability and responsibility for that is huge. So... How do you get to the other side of that? Like, what do you do once you say, okay, I'm the common denominator, now what? Yeah, and what's 
tricky about that is that I see a lot of people put a lot of blame on themselves, and I I think that that's it's a it's a fine line between taking responsibility for what you need to own as yours and what's your shit, and then also beating yourself up for it. Oh my gosh, I went through this. Do you are you familiar with Byron Katie's work? Yes. Okay, it's brilliant. Yet. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan. <laughs> I went to the darkest place after I had my yeah. baby and I was like, okay, I feel like shit, but what, wh- how is this, you know, my fault? Like, I think that it can mm-hmm. take you to that place of just like feeling really bad and feeling like it's all your fault. But anyway, that's kind of where I spun out with that. And I think especially if you're not doing it under the guidance of someone who's super yeah. trained, like if Byron Katie herself were walking me through this, I'd be like, oh, yes, genius. Mm-hmm. But whenever I'm in like the middle of the night staring at my ceiling trying to figure it out, I'm like, I'm just the worst. Everything's the worst. OK, so Where's anyway, your part in this. Keep yeah. going. Keep going. No, it's I, – I'm glad that you brought that up because I agree. I think that it is the, – the questions are genius, but if – but you can, especially – I'm sure the people that listen to your podcast and your community and my community as well, they are high achievers, they're go-getters, and they tend to put so much responsibility on themselves, they blame themselves a lot and fall into that that whole inner critic chatter and and beat themselves up. But no, there there is kind of like that. And sometimes I feel like it's like a ping-ponging back and forth into taking responsibility and like, okay, what can I own? What's mine? Oh my God, what have I done? Why am I so stupid? Like <laughs> going back and forth. So just I'm all for massive self-awareness, just knowing as best you can what's going on so that you can try to choose better solutions or a better way. Emily, how are you doing over there? <laughs> I'm soaking it all in, guys. She's still stunned no. from my story. I'm formulating all of it into something amazing in a minute, but I'm just going to keep soaking it. You guys continue. I will say, like, anytime I'm feeling sorry for myself, Emily's my business bestie, and I'll be like, oh, and she's like, uh, buck up. At least so shut the Emily's fuck up, Kathleen. Get to work. <laughs> Emily's like the buck up voice of all of this. She's like, Byron who? Okay, so I want to talk a little bit, though, about... um. You know, our audience is creative entrepreneurs, and we have found more and more of them are dealing with anxiety. There is such a huge conversation happening around anxiety. And you have a book right now called um, Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back From Happiness. And if I could like almost inverse that title to like 14 Habits That Are Giving You Anxiety, I mean, that might not be it at all. (laughs) But, you know, just this like shitty feeling. Why does everyone feel like shit all the time? time? Is it social media? Is it politics? Is it perfectionism? Is it workaholism? Like what is making creative entrepreneurs specifically feel so terrible all the time? Everything that you mentioned, Kathleen, I think that, yeah, I mean, you could switch the title out, like 14 things that are causing you anxiety because the, the, the behaviors are, and I'll just name a few of them. It's perfectionism. It's people pleasing. It's compare and despair. Um, Overachieving, being strong, uh, what else? Um, Self sabotage, feeling like a fraud, all all of those, all of those things. And I think that, I think that I know that your audience is this way too. We are such smart, high achieving people. We put so much pressure on ourselves, and couple, which I don't think is a bad thing to be high achieving. Like I want to get that out of the way. I am too. But where I see it kind of go over to the dark side is. We tend to be terrible at asking for help. We tend to also be terrible, directly related to that, is when 
shit hits the fan in our life, whether it's with our business, our finances, our personal relationships, parenting, et cetera, we tend to not reach out to tell people, even the people we're closest to, the really hard stuff because we're embarrassed. We think nobody else feels that way. We feel like we need to be able to handle it all. Um, Courtney E. Martin wrote the book perfect girl starving daughters and I, I quote her in my perfectionism chapter and and one of the things she she her theory is that it's it's sort of a backlash and she's a she's a huge feminist she's like it's a backlash from the the feminist movement that told us we could be anything and we heard we have to be everything and I I de- definitely think that's the case and I me too I'm seeing so much anxiety rising and rising and rising and just to bottom line it I think we're not asking for help I think we're putting expectations on ourselves and others that are completely we can't nobody nobody humanly can do all of these things and we're also numbing our feelings that's another huge one because when we don't actually process what's going on it just gets like stockpiled down and down and down and then that manifests as insomnia anxiety for some people depression not to say depression and anxiety aren't real, you know, things that happen in the brain, but it just exacerbates that um, physical symptoms. I mean, I could go on and on. I'll I'll, I'll stop because I'll just <laughs> ramble on anxiety. So, so sometimes I feel like in my own experiences of anxiety and and all the bad feelings, like the habits that are keeping me from feeling my best self, sometimes it's hard to even recognize when that's happening. It's kind of like the frog in boiling water. And I don't Mm -hmm. really know it's creeping up until it's too late. And so sometimes I like to keep an eye on my symptoms that are coming up. So sometimes if I feel the urge to um, really get strict about like a workout regimen and what I'm eating and I'm like, I need to do a Whole30, I'm like, not that Whole30 is at all a symptom of a problem, but for me personally, that's whenever... Whenever that stuff is rearing, it's, you know, I start to think, okay, wait, what's actually going on? Or if I'm like, I'm going to go on a shopping binge, like that's another one. Okay, what's mm-hmm. actually going on? You're trying to gain some semblance of control is my guess. For sure. And so I have to look at like kind of those sneaky symptoms that are giving me clues that I'm about to fall into like the shit quicksand. So mm-hmm. do you have any sneaky symptoms that you're identifying and really maybe even some of these habits that are holding you back, like these actual behaviors to really identify when you're starting to get into hot water? I think that the examples that you gave are really great. I think that anytime you're trying to grasp for some kind of control and it might look like some kind of diet, some kind, mine is the same. Like I'll sign up for like a triathlon or something and then feel good for five minutes when I put all of my training in my Google calendar. And then I'm like, why do I still feel? <laughs> I want to clarify that like a whole 30 isn't a bad thing and a triathlon isn't a bad thing like these aren't bad things that we're doing but I found that I'm so much more successful whenever I'm doing those things out of love for myself versus mm-hmm. like out of hate for myself right right and and I, I I agree with you and I think that so your question was about symptoms I think that some for some people it's physical symptoms I know for me that and and personally, I was diagnosed with general anxiety disorder and severe panic disorder in 2003. And um, I mean, God, that story. I was I was both relieved and enraged at the same time. I felt like my body had failed me. I had I still had a lot of stigma around uh, you know mental illness and things like that. But 
I understand exactly what it feels like to have like a full on panic attack with vomiting and like, you know, tingling hands and, and, and every numbness and everything and, or just the, the general anxiety. And for me, it's, it's physical. I feel like, um, I get tightness all up in my shoulders and also feel sometimes nauseated and just anxious for no apparent reason at all. Like I don't have a huge deadline. I don't have a giant to-do list. My kids are healthy. My, my husband's not mad at me. Like <laughs> just for no reason. That's one symptom. And I think that sometimes, like you were saying, it can be sneaky for me personally. And I think everyone's red flags are different. I've been sober for six years. So I know when I think about drinking, that's a red flag for me. Something's going on. Or if I'm lashing out at somebody that doesn't deserve it, that's also a red flag of anxiety. And um, I think about also how much ca- – I mean, these are small things. I think about how much caffeine I'm consuming, if I'm getting enough sleep, if I'm exercising, what I'm eating. Those are all kind of the the things we all hear about all the time, like the no-brainers about anxiety. But I think they're imp- they're worth mentioning because we get busy and forget about those important things. This Being Boss episode is brought to you by 2020, where creative entrepreneurs get authentic real-world stock photos. If you're looking to make a new habit of delivering an honest message to your audience, the photos you use will matter. 2020 has crowdsourced millions of photos from a community of over 350,000 photographers, all available under a simple, royalty-free license. Today, they're offering listeners of Being Boss a five-photo-free trial. To start yours right now, go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's the word 20, then 20.com slash beingboss to get five free photos. I want to dig into some of your 14 habits. And a couple of the ones that you mentioned was perfectionism, people pleasing, Mm -hmm. and feeling like a fraud. Could you dig into some of those and share what those habits are around those things? Because I think of some of those things more as like feelings and habits. So how are those things manifesting and surfacing as habits that are really holding us back? Perfectionism. So for for your community, what that might look like is not completing projects or not even starting projects because they think that they aren't perfect at it or or most excellent at it or they're going down you know i i i lumped compare and despair into its own chapter but definitely perfectionism compare and despair and control are like sisters and it might also look like <clears throat> excuse me it might look like not going out with your friends because you are having a breakout or you um i don't know a bad hair day i mean it can be just the regular things like that that make you isolate because you make up that you are not perfect. People-pleasing and approval-seeking is anything from saying yes to things you really don't want to do, poor boundary setting, um, and that might be with your clients, you know, letting people take advantage or bend on policies that you have in place that you just don't want to say yes to or, you know, that you don't want to say no to. And what was the third one that you wanted me to talk about? Ooh, feeling like a fraud. That's when feeling we, like we, a we fraud, call it fraudy feelings over here. Fraudy feelings. Yes. I know you wrote about it in your, in your book. That one is for my audience. It is, um, I, I work with a lot of, of nine to fivers and feeling like they, that feeling like when is everybody going to figure out that I have no idea what I'm doing? Or just really feeling like you don't belong, and then I need to have another degree. I need to have an, have another certification. And you keep kind of pressing this this news button on your life because you you need more schooling and and things like that. And just feeling like you don't measure up. 
I yeah, want. We, I, 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 blah, blah, blah. Emily's Hold on. speaking. Hold. I'm shutting up. <laughs> I'm coming, guys. Y'all were startled. <laughs> <clears throat> I want to talk a second about all of those things you just said, like all those like symptoms or like the habits that come from them, um, and how it is that you differentiate between when. Between when, like, let's say you actually do need to go get more certification or whatever for mm-hmm. a reason that is good versus it being uh, it being a habit that's rearing its head out of something that's more negative. Like, how can you tell the difference between the two in any of those scenarios? Because I think there are tons yeah. of times when these things will surface as, you know, a positive indication of something versus a negative one. And it's tough. You know, I wish I could draw up like a handy dandy table and say like, this is when it's this and this is when it's that. And I think that it it might vary for each person. And an indicator I think is, I think a lot of people know deep down, I think they know and they're too afraid to admit it. I think people are a lot smarter than they really think they are. And I also, it, it might be, even helpful to ask some of your closest friends, you know, like, what do you think? Do you really think? Because most likely if they are somebody that you trust and you have an established relationship with, they're going to tell you the truth. And I mean, I I got, I I got my original certification in 2010, 2009, 2010. And then I thought about going and getting um, a PhD. I didn't even, I don't even have my master's degree yet. So that would have been a lot of school. And I had like two kids at home. After really thinking about it, I was like, well, no, I don't – I want to – I want it because I want those letters after my name. And for me, that went into like my core belief of like I don't think people take me that seriously. And that's why I wanted a PhD. But then I went on in 2014 to get another certification that I really deeply resonated with and wanted the education. So for me, that was the distinction. I'm not sure how helpful that is, but I, I just – I honest to goodness think that people – no, deep down, they're just afraid of looking. Right. So that and that brings up for me, like just this idea of self-awareness, like you can want things for right and wrong reasons. It's the same things, just the reasons yep. that are different. And I think I think knowing yourself and like questioning yourself is part of that. But I also love the idea of asking those closest to you, because sometimes they have a perspective that you just can't see. And sometimes they don't want to tell you because they're, well, A, you haven't asked. (laughs) And they might be kind of afraid of hurting your feelings. I mean, we have such poor communication in this culture. But, you know, maybe they don't want to say like, hey, Emily, like, I actually don't don't know if you need that certification. You have 17 already. You know, they don't want to hurt your feelings because they genuinely love you and care about you. I think that that deep down piece um, is really important as well. And one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Andrea, is that you were ignoring your intuition that you knew was there. And for me, that distinction between doing something because my intuition is telling me that I need it versus my intuition telling me like, actually, you're good without it. That's huge for me as well. So I'm curious if you have any tools or tips for really tapping into your intuition or if you've been able to listen to your intuition a little bit better since those red flag experiences and how you've been able to cultivate that and really do that. I wish that I could say it, it, my intuition was strengthened by a really amazing meditation and yoga practice, but really how it was strengthened was by not listening and getting hit over the head with a two by four. And, and I think that sometimes we need those really hard lessons. I, like I was saying, I'm so great. I thanked my ex-husband in the, in my first book in the acknowledgements because I might still be married to him today if he hadn't had an affair. And, I do believe that it was the catalyst. I think some people just need to get the emotional shit kicked out of them before they change their life. Not everyone, but a, but a lot of people. And I, I think that 
we do get to a certain point where that may happen. And I also think that yoga and meditation and just being still and quiet can help. And I, I, I also think that we kind of do need to go down that road of, of not listening to know exactly like, oh, that was my intuition and it actually was right so that we can start to trust it. Cause I think self-trust is a huge issue, especially for women. And I, I mean, I, I shouldn't say especially for women. I don't work with men. So I don't know if they have problems with self-trust or makeup that they don't. But I, I also think that, you know, intuition is one of those lifelong process journeys that we take and that we hugely underestimate how powerful it is in us. I personally feel like I've only tapped into like 25% of my own. And I'll be completely transparent with you. There's a tiny part of me that's a little afraid of what I might find in there because <laughs> it's so powerful. Um, I don't know if I'm the only one. <laughs> Say afraid. more about that. Right? I feel like we're going to do a find. life coaching session right here, right now. Let's talk about your fear of your own intuition. <laughs> no, well, it kind of – it brings up the whole topic of the fear of success. And it, and that's, it's indirectly related to what we were talking. I'm not trying to change the subject. I'm happy to go there, but I, I do think that it's something that your audience probably struggles with. Everybody's always talking about the fear of failure. And it's kind of like, to me, that's old hat. Like, let's talk about the fear of success because I have talked to so many women who are like, Oh my God, that's what I'm afraid of. And I'm kind of afraid to admit it because it seems dumb, right? But I found myself and so many women, it's like, okay, how am I going to sustain this? If I if I do make six figures, how am I going to sustain that? Multiple six figures, seven figures. How am I going to top it? What are people going to think of me? Am I going to leave my family behind and people that I grew up with? Uh, there's, there's so much drama <laughs> that we make up about success. Yeah. Yeah, it's something Kathleen and I have talked about multiple times, probably a little more behind the scenes and even on the podcast where there is so many things that can come up for you, just as many in terms of fearing success than failure. But I have to say, I think fearing my intuition is an aspect of that that I have not considered yet. How it came up for me was I was I was getting coached, as we do, and... I forget how even the topic came up, but my coach asked me, or maybe she pointed out, I can't remember if she asked or if she pointed it out, that that I, she's like, I, th- I think that you're afraid of your own intuition because you're afraid of what you might uncover there. And it's sort of like the Marianne Williamson quote, you know, we're, we're afraid of how big we can become in our own power. And <clears throat> excuse me, I, I believe that very much to be true. And, and let's get a little bit esoteric here. I, um, I truly believe and have known since I was probably 10 or 11 that my soul has walked this earth before in some other form. And I truly believe that there has been some kind of past life where – or lives where it's been some kind of female form that um, lived in a time where – like let's face it, like most – of the past lives where women were not allowed to speak out. They were persecuted for it or, or, or killed many times. And I had my Akashic records opened one time. Have you guys ever heard of that or mm-hmm. done it? Oh, heard yeah. of it. Have you're not you're done speaking it. to the right people. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're <laughs> with you. Keep going. As they come. I'm waiting for some. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to yes. get the, the negative ones from us. Keep going. We're interested. Okay. So I had my Akashic records opened and she 
and you know, like they do, it's, it's so woo woo. And even at the time I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing this. So she, there was like some silence and she's like asking the guides, you know, like, I don't know, like Sage and everything over on her end. And then she gasped and she was like, the guides are telling me they've been waiting for this lifetime for a very, very long time. And I was like, no pressure. <laughs> immediately that's where I went. I was like, oh my God, what, what am I supposed to be doing? But I, I learned to accept that and, and it's, it's all fine now. But still there's a part of me, like every time I up level, I met with, um, I don't know who coined it, but new level, new devil. I met with like, oh, who do you think you are? <laughs> and that's cute that you think you can be that big, that you can be that loud, that you can take up that much space. And this goes back to, I mean, it's the patriarchy. It's just us as women, culturally, we're not encouraged really to do that. I mean, I've been told many, many times to tone it down. You know, you're making other people uncomfortable. And I have, I learned for a long time to do that. And I'm fucking 42. And now I'm finally just like, no, I'm done with this. And every time I do something, like I read a spoken word on my podcast a few weeks ago, it was titled My Resignation. And it's like a powerful, the, the poem was written when the Me Too movement was happening. And I wrote that poem out of, in a place of rage. And I performed it. And like my, whole – I burst into tears after I read it. I was so – thought I, I – I'm surprised I didn't throw up. But it's it's that kind of like physical just coming out. It's like this rebirth. Um, I'm getting all like hot and I should take my sweater off. But <laughs> all that to say is that it's this up-leveling I think that so many of us face at, when we do listen to our intuition, when our intuition is saying like pushing us and saying like, go, girl, go. Go be a boss. Go do all of these things that our culture tells us not to do. That's scary as shit. And I know there's so many people online that are making it look so easy. And I'm over here like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, totally. I was thinking about, you know, the fear of success and as as that relates to intuition, which is something that I haven't really connected before either. So just even thinking through this, I was thinking if I was afraid of success and how my intuition plays into that fear a little bit, it would be that my intuition is going to say, do it a different way. And that I'm going to have to pave my own path. I'm going to have to pave my own way and do it in a way that hasn't been done before. And do it in a way that feels good every step of the way so that it's like not cultivating that continuing of fear. Yeah. And I think that that like, you know, even, I don't know if this is society or what, but sometimes I feel like I want to just hitch my cart to somebody's horse, whether that be my husband's or whether that be like the the next guru promising me the answers or, you know, whoever that might be. Like, I think that we're all sometimes like just someone give me the answers, please. Mm -hmm. But whenever you listen to your intuition, it has all the answers that you need. And that's kind of scary because sometimes it's going to tell you, hey, you're going to have to go down this path that you can't see around the bend of but trust that it's going to get you where you need to go. Even if it's a bumpy ride along the way, it's going to get you where you need to go and that you're going to have to go against the norms when you go down that path. And people are going to judge you and people are going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it that way? And <clears throat> I'm like one of, one of the huge moments of my life when I did trust my intuition and people were like, what are you doing? Um, when I was pregnant with my second child, I had a cesarean with my first. He was a, um, he was a breech position baby. And, 
for people who understand obstetrics at all in, in America, they would rather you not have a vaginal birth after cesarean. It's called a VBAC. And it, this was in 2000 and uh, when did I give birth a second? This was in 2009. So they've come, they've come a little bit of a way now, but um, my obstetrician was heavily recommending because I'm a liability. You know, it's, it's so much easier for them if they can control it and have another cesarean. I would take a bath every single night and I was very pregnant and I remember just knowing and I could not explain it, knowing that my daughter was fine, that we were fine, my uterus and my body were healthy and they were telling me that she's too small for her gestational age, that my placenta is starting to calcify, like which things were – those were totally normal things. They were trying to scare me and I just knew – Y'all, like, I just knew that we were going to be fine. And then even my husband was like, are you sure you want to try this? Like, wouldn't it just be better if – and then I was like, oh, my God. All – I was getting all this pushback, all this pushback. And I had the easiest, fastest labor. She was totally fine and healthy. And it was – I look on that moment of that is my evidence that I can trust myself even when – when you can't explain what that feeling is and what that voice is, and you can even use that in your business. And I think we second guess ourselves. I second guess myself like a thousand times during that pregnancy. And it wasn't until they were setting up the room to do a vaginal birth in the hospital. I was like, oh my God, oh, oh, oh my God, this is happening. <laughs> like you guys believed me. And um, yeah, just an example of, of trusting. And, and it was a, that was a big deal. That was a lot at stake for that. Yeah, I think what I'm gathering out of this is to look at experiences where you went against your intuition. Think about when you had that gut feeling that this is not the right choice and went against that. And even in my life, like I um, have been married a couple of times and in my first marriage, like I never had that gut feeling like, don't do it, don't do it. Sometimes you don't. You don't. Or like, you know, I've even had my intuition tell me to do something that then totally crashed. And I'm like, but my intuition told me so strongly and that can make you second guess but then there are certainly times where my intuition has told me to do things that I've done that have felt wild or weird and that's like where I really see my evidence is whenever I followed like I've gotten that loud clear signal I followed it and it worked out for the best um so I would love to encourage our listeners to think about that as well okay bosses this is the kind of thing that I don't normally do but I got a FabFitFun box in the mail and I loved it. So if you don't already know about FabFitFun, it's a seasonal box with full-size beauty, fitness, and lifestyle products. Their spring editor's box is epic. It has products like a free people eye mask, beauty and skincare products from Kate Somerville, which is my personal favorite, and Tarte, which is another favorite, a super cute mug by Aisha Curry, and that's just the beginning of it. Don't miss out because they sell out fast. Check out www.fabfitfun.com and use the code BOSS so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. You all, that is such a steal. Again, that's fabfitfun.com and use the code BOSS. With how hard you work as a creative entrepreneur, you deserve to treat yourself. I want to talk about um, choosing the way that we feel. So like if we're feeling like shit all the time and there are all these habits that are holding us back, can we actually choose courage and confidence and happiness? Like, is it really a choice? Because even this morning, my son was having a meltdown. 
I'm going to admit that, like, I even hit the wall with my fist a little bit around Mm. the corner. Like, I was so just, ugh, why another meltdown? And I was like, okay, Kathleen, you've got to choose. You've got to choose how you're going to be, and you're going to be the grown-up, and you're going to be happy. And I just couldn't. So I'm over it now. I feel pretty happy Mm -hmm. now. But do you really think that it's a choice, and how do we really harness that choice? I don't know. I think you ask like 10 different self-help people and you're going to get 10 different answers. My answer is that I think that there comes a time when we have experiences that drive our emotions. When our four-year-old is having a meltdown, we're going to be frustrated, even if it's for a short period of time. I do think that we have a choice when we are going to overstay how long we need to be in that. And that comes with, you know, how long do you want to tell – like, for instance, when I – when my ex-husband had an affair and, and all of that went down, I got to a point where, of course, it was devastating, you know, but then I got to a point where I was choosing to stay in victimhood. I was choosing to stay bitter. I was choosing to tell the story from a place of victimhood so that I could get attention, so that I could get sympathy. And again, I think that there comes a – it's like a container almost. Like there comes a time where it is possible for you to move on and then we choose to stay in it or not. Yeah, I think I think there's something to be said about allowing yourself the time to feel the feelings, whatever they may be, and then yes. and then when you're done feeling the feelings because there has to be a moment um then you choose. But I think yeah. I don't think you can choose too early. I think you can choose too late. I agree with that, Emily. And I, and I think too that I'm a big fan of encouraging and preaching to people that none of your feelings are wrong. That's that's one lesson I want my children to walk away with. I didn't grow up in a house like that. And you're you're going to feel whatever you feel. I'm, if you start to pay attention to how much, especially women, apologize for their feelings, like we apologize all the time for crying and your feelings are just feelings. They're just part of the human experience. Like just, they just are. That's been a huge uh, part of my own work is just accepting what comes and not making myself wrong for it. Sorry, I'm just thinking about my son feeling his feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And that's fine, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to be an audience to it. I don't want to witness it. Well, I I think there is something to be said about learning how to express your feelings. I don't think it's right for you. I, I think there is a wrong way for you to express your feelings. Even if the feeling is right, you can express them in a wrong way. Just throwing that out there, too. I agree with that. That's what I teach my children. I always say, and they're 10 and 8, by the way. So I tell them, you are never wrong for feeling your feelings. You can feel whatever you want to feel, but you are responsible for how you react to them. In other words, and I tell them, like, you're allowed to be mad at me, but you are not allowed to be nasty to me. You do not slam doors. You do not throw things. And if you do choose to do that, you need to clean up your mess. So that's kind of like a house rule that we have because they're not perfect. They are going to slam doors. They are going to get nasty with me. And so they, they need to know how to clean up their mess. I love that. Feel your feelings, but clean up your mess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know four is tough. Four years old is tough. (laughs) Give him a couple years. I'm just in the middle of it. Um, That got me thinking about, oh, like just being um, the master of your will and um, a master of, or you're not even a master, but awareness, like tapping into that awareness. I think, Emily, to what you're saying is feel your feelings, but you know, as creative entrepreneurs, as business people, as parents, as people who are responsible for ourselves and a few people around us, it's really important to um, be able to 
obviously control like what we're doing and I think that's kind of what makes us boss mm-hmm. okay I have a question um as an entrepreneur yourself I wonder if you ever struggle with this like that balance that push and pull between being content and making like really big and seemingly impossible goals like do you ever feel that push oh and my pull gosh. like being <clears throat> grateful and mm-hmm. feeling abundant where you're at but also wanting more Completely a thousand percent. Yes. I had a coach, gosh, seven years ago and she was a specifically, I hired her because she was a law of attraction coach. I was super into it at the moment. And we had been working together for a few months and she said, Andrea, you are excellent at manifesting exactly what you need, but nothing more. So I was like anytime, but I would make these really realistic goals and I was so afraid to, to make them bigger or ask for more, like more, please, more, please. Like once I got what I wanted, I was like, okay, I'm good. (laughs) I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be too big for my britches. And then again, this is, this is a cultural thing that I took on. And so it's, it's been work for me to, like I was yelling about a few minutes ago about, taking up more space and and asking for more. And it's it's every time my income – I remember when I surpassed my husband's income a couple of years ago, that was a big deal. And that felt like, whoa, I can actually do this. And and at the time, I was working a lot on, on my, my money stuff, which is a whole other conversation. But yeah, to answer your question, yes, I absolutely struggle with that. And when I get pushed by mentors, um, I remember I was – uh, Tara Gentile is a mentor of mine and she asked, you know, I had a money goal and she's like, I want you to multiply that by six. And I was like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> and I had to do the math and it's, it's exercises like that that allow you to put, you know, push yourself out of that comfort zone, at f- whether it's a financial comfort zone, audience size, you know, are you writing books or whatever it is just to write it down. It's, it can be huge. It can be absolutely huge. Yeah. I definitely find writing down goals a really good practice. And I've even heard of people who are like, who tell you to write, uh, write down like your money goal and then write down two more that are larger. And even like doing intuition checks, even as part of that little practice of like helping or having your intuition help you actually choose the one that feels better for you. There are tons of little things that you can do like that to help you, to help you get used to seeing and wanting bigger things for yourself. Mm-hmm. It's it can be scary. I usually do good, better, best in terms of of money goals. Uh, you know, good would be this amount, better this, and best that. And then also I track my money just to be able to see it, and then express gratitude for it. And I do all kinds of of money things, like a kind of a funny one. I'll tell you a funny story. We uh, a colleague of mine. I was I was at a, a car rental place and got this unexpected expense that I I was just pissed off about, and. It was like $250 for something that should not have been $250 in, in my – but I had the money. Probably a tank of gas. It was so dumb. It was something like that. Place. I was so <laughs> mad at them. And I was telling – I was venting to my friend about it and she – and I, but I could afford it. You know, I just didn't want to pay for something like that. And she said that her and her husband had started using the mantra of, well, it's a good thing I'm rich. And so me and my friend decided we're going to say – I say it all the time now. And my husband's like – it's kind of embarrassing now because I say it like when they bring us the bill at like Texas Roadhouse and uh, yeah, I'm a little obnoxious about it, but, but it's true. Like it's, it's such a different energy and, and, and it also allows you to let go of things like being mad at Hertz Rent-A-Car. 
Yeah, I want a t-shirt that says I can afford the extra avocado. But now maybe whenever a waiter is like the avocado is going to be extra, I'm just going to say it's a good thing I'm rich. (laughs) Um, It's okay. My company is extremely profitable. I love it. I love it. So one thing that I've struggled with before in the past is a gratitude practice. And it's one that I've really been experimenting with a lot lately. And it reminded me of something that you were saying whenever it comes to manifesting just enough. Um, I always feel like I've been pretty good at manifesting, but maybe not expressing the full amount of gratitude. Like really my problem is then moving the bar a little bit higher. And so again, like I'm still manifesting more and more, more, but it's hard to be happy in the process of it. So one thing I've really been doing to get right in my attitude around this stuff is to just say thank you more please Uh and so for every little thing that goes right like our our zoom call today is going without a hiccup thank you more please my plane arrives on time thank you more please and just even in the smallest moments I'm trying to say thank you more please and for some reason that kind of practice like really expressing my gratitude in that specific way feels so much better to me than doing my list of three things Mm -hmm. like really just saying thank you more please as I go do you have any gratitude practices that you use or do on the regular? Yes. So I do that same thing. I I do three gratitudes and three goals in the morning. And quite honestly, I, I maybe get to it two times a week. So I mean, that's like a good week. And but I do the same thing that you do. I t- my daughter is is really funny about it now. Anytime she finds money on the ground, she picks it up and jumps up and down and says, I'm a money magnet because I taught her. <laughs> I'm rich. <laughs> I'm a money magnet. Money loves me. And um, that's another one that my friend and I say to each other. Anytime we get a sale or anytime money comes in, we're just like, people just love to give me money. <laughs> <laughs> And to some people that might sound so arrogant, but it's just, again, it's another way to express gratitude because I'm with you. It's sort of, I don't know, it's a little boring to me just to, and I felt like I was just checking off the boxes when I write down my gratitudes and it's, I don't really lean into it and feel into it, but I'm, I'm the same. I will do that. And I also express gratitude to people. I, even small things like I look the cashier at the grocery store in the eye and tell them, thank you. Um, any kind of a service person I express gratitude towards and my friends. I, when I'm, cause I will think of them at like really odd moments if I'm like returning an email to someone else and I'll think about how much, how much gratitude I have for such and such friend who's so great about giving me advice about something. I will send them a message and like text them or something to express it in the moment. Okay. So you've been through some shit. Do mm-hmm. you feel like happy and badass all the time now? Like what's, what's going on now? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really, you know, and it's it's interesting when I sent my manuscript over to my editor for this book, she one of the first things she said about it, she's like, this is a book about self-awareness. And I was like, yes, that's what I want it to be for people. So this is not a book of like, hey, Emily, these are the 14 things you're doing wrong. You should change them and then you're going to be happy. It's like, here are the 14 things that we're all doing and that we will continue to do. Let's be so fast and badass about recognizing when they're happening in our life so that we can recognize that they're making us feel like shit so we can choose something better and we can choose better habits. And there's so many tools in there about how to change the the behavior and the habit so you can show up and be the best woman or person that you want to be. What are your what are some of your favorite habits or tools to overcome feeling like shit as fast as possible? My favorite is the mantra, similar to the money one we were just talking about. Anytime I inner critic. <laughs> That's my new Get favorite money rich. mantra. I'm rich. <laughs> I'd love to give me money. 
Um, my favorite, just in like the general inner critic BS is, which, you know, now that I've been working on it for 11 years, it it's pretty few and far between. But when I do hear it, I just tell myself, well, that just happened. And it's just acknowledging that it happened. It's not t- – because at the end of the day, you know, our inner critic is just trying to keep us safe. It's trying to do its job. It's it's old shame triggers. It's – you know, we could have a whole other podcast on that. But I'm just acknowledging it and I'm, it's not positively or negatively charged. And then I move on. And some people who are brand new to that work, they're like, I, I, what if I have to do it like 10, 20 times a day? And I'm like, then you have to do it 10, 20 times a day. You don't learn Spanish in one day. You know, it's like it's, it's this practice that you have to keep doing. So that's one that I use. That's that's worked really well. I love, I love it. it. So, oh. go go. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. Did, was that like a baseball? Like, they <laughs> <laughs> right, were giving each other signals. They're getting crossed. signals. They're getting crossed. No go, <laughs> Kathleen. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about the book. Who is it for? And you know, tell us like the tone. Like, who is this best for? And where can they buy it? It's very conversational. That's what I hear from everybody. They're like, I feel like you're my my wise sister talking to me and telling me, you know, kind of straight shooting. It's for it's it's really not just for women. I've had a lot of male readers who've really enjoyed it, but I'll just keep in mind all the examples that I have in there are for women because that's my audience and my practice. And it's for women who struggle Every single person who's read it and given me feedback on it has said, I have checked off at least 10 of these 14 habits and I feel like you were writing about me. And this also comes from 11 years of doing this work and working with hundreds of women and on myself as well. And all major bookstores, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, um, it's also – I have 10 foreign deals. So if you're – no, 12 now, 12 foreign deals. So if you're in Lithuania or Russia, it's going to be translated over there. But um, yeah, major bookstores and of course on Amazon and Target.com and all those great places. Nice. And it's called How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, 14 Habits That Are Holding You Back from Happiness. Thank you so much, Andrea. Where else can our listeners find you? Easiest place is yourkickasslife.com. And I love to hang out on Instagram and talk to people over there. Same handle, yourkickasslife. And what makes you feel most boss? Oh my gosh, were you? Did you tell me that I was going to? I don't know. (laughs) Just think about like a moment recently. It could be, you know, or whatever. What did your intuition just tell you? There you go. Okay, my intuition did just tell me. I know. (laughs) I feel most boss when I'm doing things that really scare me, but I know are necessary. Like reading that poem on my podcast and my intuition telling me that this is something that, that you need to do. That's when I feel most boss, when when I am both brave and afraid at the same time. That's me at the dentist. <laughs> right? Right? Well, you feel it, the most boss when you're at the dentist? Or I mean, that's whenever I feel the most brave and afraid. <laughs> right? And and I hope for you, I hope for you that, that you can come to happier terms with your intuition. I think that's one of the biggest things that I've gotten from this is is a, a a point of view from someone in terms of fearing intuition in a way that I never considered, and I'm hoping you become best buddies. But sure. I will say tying the fear of success to intuition is really helping me understand more the fear of success. Yeah, uh-huh. yes, yes to that, absolutely. My relationship just to suck – 
just to touch on what Emily just said, it's sort of like that girl in high school that like is the coolest girl at school and you like kind of want to be her friend and she's like, I'll be your friend. But you're like, I don't know, you smoke cigarettes and you wear really red lipstick. And, uh. <laughs> right? She's cooler that's, than that's, you? Your intuition is cooler than you? <laughs> she's just bigger than me. And it's she like, I'm not worthy. the coolness in me. Yeah, exactly. Oh. She's like one of the pink ladies and I'm like, mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Well, it was so great to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming to hang out with us. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Of course. Hey bosses, I want to tell you about the CEO Day Kit. The CEO Day Kit is 12 months of focus planning for your business in just one day. So Emily and I have packaged up the exact tools that we've been consistently using for years that have helped us grow from baby bosses to the CEOs of our own businesses. Gain clarity, find focus, get momentum, prioritize your time, make better decisions, and become more self-reliant with the CEO Day Kit. Go to courses.beingboss.club to learn more and see if it's a fit for you and your business. Shout out to this episode's sponsors, including FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Go to freshbooks.com slash beingboss and enter beingboss in the how did you hear about us section to try it for free. Go to 2020.com slash beingboss. That's 220.com slash beingboss to get some really good stock photos and they're going to get through a few free ones your way. And then of course, fabfitfun.com. Enter the code BOSS so you can save $10 off your first box, making it only $39.99. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Find articles, show notes, and downloads at www.beingboss.club. Thank you so much to our team and sponsors who make Being Boss possible. Our sound engineer and web developer, Corey Winter. Our editorial director and content manager, Caitlin Brain. Our community manager and social media director, Sharon Lukey. And our Bean counter, David Austin, with support from Braid Creative and Indie Shopography. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.